Hello, and welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Thank you for listening this Thursday, February 25th, 2021. Topics on this episode include the approaching 10003 changes, my interview with Summit Sotheby's Bryn Flowers, and Fed Chairman's uneventful appearance to conclude his semi-annual testimony on Capitol Hill. As hope for a recovery helps push rates higher, Carol Kay writes, I hate it when people ask me what I do for fun, because there's no classy way to say, binge drink. (laughs) The approaching 10.0034 mandatory changes may cause some people to turn to drink. Is it going to March Madness at your shop? With the new Uniform Residential Loan Application. The text version of the commentary has plenty of Uniform Residential Loan Application and processing notes in it. Plenty of lenders further along the technology curve than others seem to be hiring lots of developers to accommodate changes, like incorporating a new application. But AEs and MLOs need to be aware of and use digital tools that they already have. DU and LP, for example, are great tools in nearly every lender. Heck, I hear a lot about senior management reminding staff about the benefits of correctly filling out forms. It is important, but overlooked. I've started telling everyone about the benefits of eating dried grapes. It's all about raising awareness. (laughs) I wanted to bring on Summit Sotheby's Bryn Flowers for an interview because it's important for lenders to understand different facets of the home buying process and what is currently going on in the market. I'm just trying to give you a leg up on your competition. Bryn, thank you very much for coming on the Crispin Commentary podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I've actually worked with you a couple times when I was buying and selling a home in Salt Lake City. And in addition to you having possibly the most soothing podcast voice of anybody I've ever heard, you're very, <laughs> you're very knowledgeable. And so I wanted to, to bring you on and, and give some perspective on, on what you're seeing in the market because I've heard that Salt Lake is, is having crazy price wars and uh, I think it, it would really benefit our listeners to get, get a perspective from you. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Cool. So what are you seeing that's different about millennial home buyers versus other generations as they go through the home buying process? There's less skepticism using an agent and that they really are you know trusting you to be the expert and taking your advice. I'm I'm kind of curious if you had any like connotation off of that question that you were hoping to get an answer from. Well, I think a lot of these lenders and these these mortgage companies for years and years they've been saying when are millennials going to start buying homes? When are they going to move out of mom and dad's house? And they're really and it seems like now millennial home buyers are starting to make that move towards home ownership. And so these lenders want some of that market share. Uh, and and I asked that under the or under the broader context of how do you think these lenders can really capture millennials? You say they're more trusting of agents. Are they, are they interacting with lenders differently than other generations or, or you haven't noticed that? The big difference that we've just seen a shift in general, but particularly with millennials is that people are doing so much of their home search online. I mean, they've done you know 90% of the work in terms of figuring out what they want to buy, where they want to buy etc. Prior to even reaching out to an agent or a lender. And sometimes usually it's one or the other first. And, you know, it kind of leads into it's nice when we're the first point of contact and we can refer lenders that we trust. Um, And sometimes people come to the table and they have lenders and, you know, I, we usually do our due diligence on that lender, 
because having local market knowledge, especially in our market today, is extremely, extremely beneficial. It's funny, it's funny you say that because I have friends that send me Zillow listings all the time and they say, oh, you're in mortgage banking. What do you think of this? And I say, have you even gone through the process of finding a lender, getting pre-approved, pre-qualified? Have you submitted documents? And they go, no, but I like this house. And I'm thinking, well, considering the market we're in, you're a lot, that house is going to be gone by the end of this weekend. So I think that, that people need a little more concrete plans. The other thing with millennials is... For the longest time, they didn't have down payments saved up. And that was the big inhibitor towards homeownership. How have you seen your borrowers get creative with no more than 20% down or maybe even less than that? Some people don't know that in our market, we always, if you have the option to put, you know, at least 3% down, we suggest going conventional versus FHA. It's just one less contingency you have, you know, during the process. So depending on how much someone's putting down someone, you know, say, obviously it's price dependent too, but we've been seeing more appraisal discrepancies than we've ever seen before. And I think when a seller's reviewing, you know, 10 to 20 offers, uh, people that are waiving appraisal contingencies are willing to make up a significant amount of appraisal contingencies are having more success getting under contract. So I think a creative way, especially to work with a lender, and I I feel like we're having as agents, you know, and I say we're, my team is having more of this conversation with our buyers than maybe we see the lenders having. And I'm, I, it's always an option to buyers, but I feel like we're having it first. And then the lender's like, oh yeah, but you could do that. But I mean, a thing that we've suggested for people that are putting, you know, say 10% down or wanting to put 10% down but they also want to make up an appraisal, a potential appraisal discrepancy is looking at what their options are if, hey, what if I put 5% down and offer to make up a potential appraisal discrepancy for the difference of that? And that, that may be hard for some lenders to, to waive that. But in general, just kind of a sister question, how are people being competitive in this market? It's as hot of a market as I've ever seen. We have seen, I mean, we have like this little marketing piece that we send to any new borrower that we talk, any new buyer and borrower that we talk to. That's basically like 101 ways to strengthen your offer because you are going to need those tools. Um, But a new thing that we've been seeing that's almost becoming standardized in the Salt Lake market is people letting earnest money go hard. Uh, and a lot of people are doing that upon acceptance. So they're offering, you know, I'll give you $5,000. And if you, you know, my, of my earnest money, that goes hard upon acceptance. So people are doing it upon acceptance and then they're releasing a further amount after their due diligence period, you know, and then obviously after their financing and appraisal. But yeah, they're like, pick, pick me. That's probably the biggest change we've seen. Um, and then appraisal discrepancy, people making up a certain amount, a certain number in appraisal discrepancy and other people are making up, you know, it's infinite. I will make up any potential appraisal discrepancy. And we mentioned appraisals a bunch here. I, I think I've heard from a lot of different people going through the process that they're frustrated with closing times from lenders, whether it's an appraisal delay or an inspection delay or whatever it might be, just because lenders are dealing with so much volume. How can lenders step up on behalf of of these borrowers or how have you seen lenders step up to really help out their clients? A few months ago, it was a lot more difficult. Uh, And we've been seeing, I've been seeing a lot of lenders 
as much as they are just as busy, but they don't seem to be, they've kind of gotten a grasp of like how many people are refinancing and, you know, how many people are purchasing, um, where I feel like post, you know, kind of in the, at the height of COVID, there were so many refinances happening and they were so swamped. And I feel like there's been, they've been able to level that out a little bit. Um, and we're seeing that if you're a borrower, if you're financing, you're getting financing I, on the, the seller side of things, you're seeing similar timeframes from just about any lender, I think, in our market. Um, obviously, depends on, you know, if you're working with a larger bank and those are longer and versus, you know, a smaller company and someone more local. But uh, I have seen that be less of an issue just in the last few months in terms of lead times. Um, but I think lenders are also being realistic with their times of how, how quickly they can process things. And I think it's become more uniform with a lot of lenders. So timeframes are, you know, for they're similar for a lot of borrowers. Yeah. And I think setting those expectations of timeframes at the start, not asking for the same documents twice can really go a long way in, in making a lender look like a superstar for a home buyer. For sure. That's probably my number one complaint about the lending process is just the, the mention of a, asking for mul- the same document multiple times. That comes up a lot with just a frustration from borrowers. So you hear that lenders? That's how you can get ahead. Stay on, stay on top of the, the document <laughs> list there. Being available weekends and evenings, that sucks, but that's true. Like when we need you to write a pre-approval letter, edit one or whatever, you're available or to answer questions. That's like key. And we have a lot of buyers that like, I'll tell them they ha- they got pre-approved for, through Wells and they're like, yeah, they're giving me a killer interest rate. And it's like, yeah, sure. But that person's not going to answer their phone on the weekend when you want to write an offer. And then we get there and they're like, they're not answering. And it's like, okay, call this lender. And we have another lender. They get pre-approved within hours with a different lender that we work with over the weekend. And they end up being like, Hey, Wells told me they'd get, they'd give me this rate and they match it. And they end up using our lender that we recommended. Well, that's that's good because normally, regardless of what type of business you're in, it's product, price, service, and you can only pick two. But if these smaller boutique lenders are willing to match rates, then that really steps up their game. For sure. Totally. Well, and people are so, I mean, rates are so low anyways, but people are like, I can get incredibly low rates. And it's like, sure, but no one's going to accept an offer with a 45 day close. It's just not going to happen. I had a few jumbo loans and that was stressful because sellers, you know, some people don't have to be jumbo, but when you're over a certain price point, it's hard to, if you're buying a $2 million house, it's hard to avoid that. And so now jumbo processing times are going back towards like a 30 day. I've seen that. But before it was like, we can't even, there's no even way, like, no, we've been talking about moving that faster than 45 days. And then other people were just like, okay, well, we're in a price point where I'm missing out to all these cash buyers. Well, it's good. The lenders are figuring it out. And I will say from the, from the mortgage rate perspective, as rates start to go up and margins decrease, uh, there's going to be a little less business. And so I think these lenders will be a lot more responsive for your clients. And you'll see those those closing times come down from the, the lending side of things. Yeah, for, I feel like they've, at least lenders that we work with often have figured it out where like at first it was just like, we're so swamped. We can't even, we can't even imagine processing that in that short of time. And now they're like, they're, I don't know, you know, making it happen. So yeah. 
Bryn, thank you very much for coming on the Crispin Commentary Podcast. Really enjoyed having you. Thanks for having me, Robbie. Good talking with you. Yeah, good talking with you. I will uh, talk to you later. Okay. The bond market, trading in part off actual data and part off of hope, has been selling off and selling off some more recently. Yesterday's likely culprit was the headline that the FDA had endorsed Johnson & Johnson's single-shot vaccine. Some of the sell-off could have been due to new home sales in January, increasing 4.3% month-over-month and 19.3% year-over-year, both above expectations, to a seasonally adjusted rate of 923000 Demand for signed contracts remains robust, despite higher prices. The sell-off certainly wasn't due to the greatest weekly decline in mortgage applications in nearly a year. If mortgage rates continue to creep up, we will see continued pressure on TBA and pool volumes that are coming off record levels. In Washington, Fed Chairman Powell delivered an uneventful appearance to conclude his semi-annual testimony on monetary policy before the House Financial Services Committee. I'll spare you the details and say that the Fed is unlikely to change course for some time, but will do its best to alert us of any changes as far in advance as possible. That's something markets are going to like. Yesterday's $61 billion five-year note auction was met with weak demand. By the end of the day, Treasury yields had pulled back a couple basis points across the curve, and the MBS basis closed the volatile session mix. Today's economic calendar is out of the gate with a bang. January durable goods orders registered up 3.4%, much stronger than forecast. The second look at Q4 GDP came in at plus 4.1%, and weekly jobless claims posted 730,000 for the week, down 111,000 from the previous week, but are impacted by the storms. Continuing claims came in at 4.2 million. Later this morning brings January pending home sales, the Freddie Mac primary mortgage market survey for the week ending February 25th, KC Fed manufacturing for February, and a $62 billion treasury auction of seven-year notes. Three Fed speakers are on the docket, Atlanta's Bostich, Vice Chair of Supervision Corals, and New York's Williams. Today's schedule sees the New York Fed desk conducting three operations, one in each class for up to $6.6 billion, in what we're reminded is artificial demand. We begin the day with agency MBS prices worse down a half to five-eighths, and the 10-year yielding 1.45 after closing yesterday at 1.39% on continued hope for pandemic recovery. Makes me wish I was selling hope. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. During the beginning of the pandemic, I worked at a cheap pizza shop to get by. I needed the dough. (laughs) Thank you for spending a few minutes of your time with us. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.